92nd Street Y Online Media is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. This program, Downtown is the New Black, features a conversation with Lydia Bastianich, Maria Castelluccio, Andrew Schwartz, Rob Vessler, and Jessica Lapin, president of the Downtown Alliance. It was recorded on February 4th, 2017, before a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. So I'm going to just dive right in because we are going to try to cover a lot of ground this morning. And I I think, you know, the title of this is Downtown is the New Black. Uh, So much has changed in lower Manhattan. And what garnered a lot of headlines this last year in particular was the changing uh, retail scene and particularly the food scene. And uh, household names like... Tom Colicchio and Keith McNally and Wolfgang Puck all opened restaurants last year, but one of the splashiest openings we had was Italy, our very own Italy. And so um, it's wonderful that Lydia is here to talk a little bit about that. Um, and one of the things that I was curious about and am still curious about is how the Italy downtown is different from the, the mothership that so many have been to in the Flatiron. Uh, thank you, Jessica. Buongiorno. Good morning, everybody. Um, well, it's the concept itself is about the same, but we did take location into consideration. So size-wise, the flat iron is 55,000 square feet, whereas downtown is 40,000 square feet. Uh, the sales at the flat iron between the prepared foods and restaurants is about 60% prepared food restaurants, 40% uh, retail. And we were wondering what downtown is going to be. Uh, The emphasis was, of course, the downtown, what we noticed was that there is an earlier rising, if you will. There was an earlier energy in the morning. So whereas at Flatiron we didn't have a big breakfast, we still don't, we have small, we implemented a a good breakfast program, seven o'clock in the morning, we open up, uh, you can have eggs, you can have uh, salmon, and of course, the panini. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we also have a, a fresh juice bar. So all of those elements that would, uh, in the morning, that people look for, uh, uh, we, we took in consideration and really. And then, of course, we hoped and knew, and yes, indeed, a big lunch. Lunch crowd, there's a lot of uh, uh, working people there. And uh, uh, so that meant, yes, Quick sit-downs, like pasta and pizza, uh, things that they can be out in an hour, uh, uh, in and out, but also takeouts, uh, whether it's is, uh, is panini, uh, prepared foods. So the focus was a lot on taking food out as well as sitting down and eating, especially since the focus was breakfast and lunch. We were not so sure about dinner. Dinner at Flatiron is a fairly big deal. Uh, our, our, we have uh, flat irons, we have seven restaurants, seven eating uh, uh, places besides all the retail. And at night, it fills up. Uh, the piazza is a place that people socialize, they come to taste, they have a glass of wine, and then they meander around uh, whether they want something else for dinner or shop and go home and cook. Uh, so uh, our, our consideration was, well, what's going to happen in the evening? Well, and we're trying to build ever more. Uh, but what we did notice uh, was, especially on weekends, that uh, Italy downtown uh, got into a stroller traffic jam. <laughs> so there, was, there is a lot of young families 
that are calling downtown their home, uh, setting up a, a family. And uh, so weekends is quite busy for family business, and we love that because that, of course, will translate into more into evening and home cooking. Well, and that certainly when I've gone on the weekends, I've been surprised very pleasantly by how busy it is. Um, and, and I think that really speaks to the changing demographic of the neighborhood and just how many people live downtown. Um, by the way, I wish I could have a glass of wine and shop for my groceries everywhere. It's <laughs> now, very civilized. How, how civilized is that? <laughs> I mean, you know. Um, but, but Rob, you know, I, I, you're seeing... Um, you know, you really have been working for a very long time on helping to develop some of the residential uh, housing that has come online. And, and I think, first of all, working for Larry Silverstein, he has had such a formative role in redeveloping the neighborhood since 9-11. So, you know, I, I would love for you to speak a little bit to his vision and to what you've been seeing as you've been opening these residential units. Thanks, Jessica. Uh, yes, it, it really <clears throat> first is... Uh, such a, a privilege um, to be able to, to work with Larry uh, Silverstein and what a visionary he's been. Um, I don't know if people remember back to the, to the memory, to the not so pleasant memories of 9-11, uh, but he was one of the first people that said, we have to rebuild uh, down here. And a lot of people thought he was crazy. He had, it, it was, a, it was a, lot of, a lot of work, but he knew that downtown was going to again uh, rise up and be a vibrant, <laughs> Thank you. Be a, a vibrant uh, community for um, for um, for office and also for residential. Uh, no one no one thought of um, that part of downtown at the time to, to be anything, but certainly not residential. And it really started with the vision of one one by one rebuilding the the World Trade Center towers that were down there. And uh, it started with in 2006 building Tower Seven, um, and then um, uh, Tower Four, Tower Three is uh, uh, topped out last year. And the only thing left is Tower 2 to, to finish the, his legacy of the offices. And the, one of the significant things about rebuilding the, com the commercial side down there has been the types of companies. People always imagined financial services companies and these type of companies were gonna go down to, um, to these buildings. But first starting with Condé Nast, who moved into Tower 1. And then you have companies like Media Math. Now Spotify is, is coming down there. You're, you're having a new sort of a new energy, young companies, technology companies, media companies, who are creating a real vibrancy. Layered against that, you have this, what Jessica's alluding to, is we have this Project 30 Park Place, that, which is a Four Seasons Hotel, 40 stories at the base, um, and then 157 condominium units going up to 82 floors, designed by Robert A.M. Stern. And it was just completed, uh, the hotel in September. We opened, the condos are closing now. It's 80% sold, and what that did, apart from being a, a residential success down there, it really, um, it really signaled an arrival of um, that downtown over there. That part of downtown was really a residential place, and since then we've had um, just you know, the 111 um, Murray Street, we've had uh, 50 West, we've had 100 Barclay, and then numerous other residential projects. Um, Andrews Howard Hughes project is is not exactly right there, but it's it's part of the you know just the downtown area. And really, what you're seeing is areas that were once considered part, sort of part of Southern Tribeca, let's say, or Tribeca are now 
really all be going to eventually become one and the same, and you're going to see Tribeca and downtown really all merge. And I, I think great, I mean, just tremendous energy. And it is remarkable. I think if, if you would have said shortly after 9-11 that we'd have three times as many people living there today as we did on 9-11, I don't think anybody would have believed it. Um, and, and that you have even, uh, you know, Nobu moving from Tribeca to lower Manhattan. I mean, you see people coming further south. And, and I actually wanted to ask you, um, Maria, you've had a front row seat. Your school um, is right there in the heart of the financial district. You know, how, how have you seen the changes in the neighborhood reflected by who's coming through your doors and the families you're serving? Right. Thank you, Jessica. I think, as you allude to, the population has more than doubled since 2001, but the population of children has tripled um, in the financial district. And I heard somebody recently describe the financial district as the diaper district. So you'll often see uh, families with strollers and dogs during the day, in the evening, on the weekends, a lot more family events that are happening within the community, and certainly the demand for schools has increased. Uh, Lamont Manhattan started in 2005 with 50 students, and we have over 700 students now, and a continued demand for uh, spaces within the school and the school population. It's also a changing demographic of an international community, because in 2001, the um, main employment industry was finance, and now that was 56%. Now it's down to 34% of the families work in finance, but they work in hospitality and leisure and real estate um, and other fields, and it's bringing in international families. So there's also a demand for an international education uh, for these uh, children because some of them will be here long-term residents and some of them will be transient residents that are here for a number of years and will move on. So I think the, certainly we have two facilities, one that overlooks Battery Park City and, and the Statue of Liberty, and the other is right across from the Stock Exchange. And you see families on all areas of, uh, of those uh, streets and um, participating in the vibrancy of the community. And you see the families there, not only during the day, but staying there on the weekends, almost like there's no need to leave the financial district because things like Italy and, and some of the um, other commercial um, industries that have come to the area are allowing the families to participate there 24-7 um, and, and also on the weekends. Well, yeah, if you can shop and eat and go to school and, you know, you don't need to leave. And sort of speaking of entertainment and shopping, um, Howard Hughes has a lot going on at the seaport. If you haven't been to the seaport recently, it's nothing like what you remember um, and more exciting stuff to come. So, Andrew, do you want to tell us a little bit about what's happening there, which I, I'm not sure people know? Sure, thanks for uh, having me and the work that the Downtown Alliance does and help strengthening our position in downtown as a, a vibrant part of New York City is, is, is great for us and it's a great resource. We appreciate the, the work that's done by Jessica and the team. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a different story. The story of old of you know, being a tourist-driven venue that the South Street Seaport was at the time and the old Pier 17, which sits just below the Brooklyn Bridge, anchored by a Pizzeria Uno where you bought I Love New York t-shirts and Dead Sea bath salts and those sorts of things. Gone are those days, certainly. Not only is the pier completely replaced from the 800 piles that we drove into the riverbed, but the new venue itself is completely new. At about uh, 80 feet tall, uh, the first two stories of the new Pier 17 are going to be six restaurants. Um, we've announced Jean George and David Chang will opening up. Will be opening up venue uh, restaurants uh, on the first two floors. Uh, the other four restaurants will be announced soon. Uh, the third and the fourth floor, the programming of which is TBD, but it's great floor plan uh, with wonderful exposure to 
the Statue of Liberty to the Brooklyn Bridge and to obviously downtown Brooklyn. Uh, and then finally, we have a wonderful rooftop venue. It's the largest rooftop in New York City, uh, the programming of which is TBD, but you can imagine a wonderful uh, public space up there, um, performances here and there, uh, and in the wintertime, a truly dynamic winter village, which will have a unique uh, skating surface and potentially some great hospitality uh, experiences around it, modeled after some of the iconic things that you see around New York City. Uh, more details to come on that when we announce it. Uh, and then throughout the rest... You, you can keep, take 4,000 people can fit up on that rooftop space, as I recall. Is I that mean, from a, from a public space perspective, you can funnel a ton of people through, and there'll always be available room up there for folks to come in, but the, the capacity is, is certainly significant, uh, and we welcome and invite not only the folks from downtown, but certainly the tourist you know, group that come down there. And, and I think what everybody on this panel is doing, it's, you know, redefining downtown where there had been historically mostly tourist-driven attractions. Now what we've done is we've created a destination that's authentic to New York, uh, where New Yorkers want to come and they want to spend time. And the simultaneous growth of commercial space on the west side is only complemented on the east side by some of the old commercial buildings that are turning to residences. And you're seeing this great simultaneous growth of commercial and residential traffic simultaneous. And I think that's why we've seen such of the great growth numbers mm -hmm. that we spoke about a moment ago. Well, you know, and you mentioned Jean Georges and David Chang. We're throwing around lots of celebrity chefs, and I wanted to to, to come back to Lydia and ask. Uh, you know, you started 25 years ago with Julia Child, uh, right? A bit more. A bit, <laughs> a bit more. I, uh, I won't. Close. Some time ago, you you, you, got it. you, you uh, <laughs> began on television with Julia Child, and she was like a rare. She was probably the first celebrity chef. And one of, I mean, she had to have been. She was a real pioneer. Um, do you think now to have something like Italy that you need a celebrity like yourself to to promote it? Uh, and is that sort of the way of the world today? Well, I think that um, today's uh, uh, generation is very much interested, informed about food, and conscious about what they eat, how they cook, what they buy. And uh, for, for a, a, if you will, kind of a legend in food to continue, uh, and uh, I am a few more years than what you mentioned, you need to build a rapport of trust with your audience. Now, food is the one thing that we really take into ourselves, our body. It's very, very personal. And, and, and hence, uh, you know, people today are really informed, read, know, they want to feel secure that whoever is providing food for them has the same consciousness and delivers the quality of food uh, taste-wise, experience-wise, nutritionally-wise. Uh, and that's a commitment that I think any chef that has reached any status to some extent has made. I certainly feel that way. And uh, uh, to, to really, okay, maybe make some dates, I opened my first restaurant in 1971. So there's quite a few years. And the, the thing that I cherish about most, and maybe the growth that has happened uh, to, to our little family empire and Mario and so on, is this connection and this trust that you built with the audience out there. Uh, so having said that, once you have that, the audience will follow you. And the audience will feel comfortable uh, be entrusting themselves into whatever you do. So a name that has built uh, this trust and this following is absolutely 
uh, you know, a door opener, uh, a quick startup to a project, providing that that project really stands up to the philosophy of that person and that the food or whatever you deliver is up to the quality of what the customers mm -hmm. uh, expect. Do you think there's one thing in particular people come to you for, meaning, is it mozzarella, is it, what do you sell most <laughs> of? Uh, well, I think, you know, certainly mozzarella is, is, is uh, let's, let's begin with the basics. Italian food is the number one ethnic food in America. Americans just love Italian food. Why do they love Italian food? Because it's delicious, because it's, <laughs> it's, it's nutritious, because it's simple, straightforward, and because the products, if used correctly, are really products, artisanal products, that through the centuries reflect a flavor, a taste, a place, a culture, and a nutritional consciousness. So once we have those elements in place and you deliver that in a setting like Italy, uh, then customers come. What we sell there, uh, I mean, breads, 7,000 loaves of bread, you know, in a, in a week, no problem. But we make it, we make it in place. The, the Italy, we give each Italy kind of a feel, uh, a, a title or, 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 or a profile, if you will. The Italy in the flat iron is about bread. And I must say that in, in Italy, in every, the different departments, we bring artisans from Italy. So it's not uh, an acquired uh, art or culture that's being just uh, boilerplated, if you will, here. We literally bring. We bring uh, bread masters. We bring, bring pizzaiolis from Naples. We bring pizzaioli from, from Rome, the new uh, sort of phenomenon. Uh, uh, at flat, uh, flat uh, down at uh, downtown is the pizza la palla, which we don't have in the flat iron. So pizza la palla versus the uh, uh, Neapolitan pizza. The Neapolitan pizza has this cornicione, this this uh, uh, if you will uh, around the pizza, the the frame very puffy and and kind of blistered, but the center is a little bit soft. Whereas the pizza romana or the pizza la palla has a, a very crisp bottom. And that, the technique in that, the, the dough is basically the same, good flour, uh, some yeast and water. It is the cooking technique, you know, at much lower temperature. If you talk about pizza napoletana, the temperature of the wooden oven is about 900 degrees. And it cooks into, uh, in, in uh, uh, 80 seconds, it's cooked. Whereas the pizza romana takes a much longer, a little bit lower temperature, so that it really, from the bottom, cooks and dries out and mm -hmm. makes the, 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 the pizza crustier. You're making me so hungry. <laughs> it sounds delicious. I can talk forever. I just had so two egg whites for breakfast. Um, so I, I, I'm gonna, I actually want to bring Andrew into this because it's interesting. You're, you're sharing some of the distinctions that you've made between the two Italy's. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk of, Italy was sort of the anchor in many ways for the Westfield Mall shopping center, I should say. Brookfield Place had their own sort of brand when they opened. How do you distinguish what Howard Hughes is doing at the seaport from what we have now at Westfield and Brookfield? Sure, I think that um, <clears throat> there are great experiences to be had individually at Westfield and at Brookfield. 
um, whether it be shopping or it be um, uh, dining through a culinary experience. And what the Seaport District is bringing to the table is, is a real mix of all of those things. So you've got culinary with Jean-George and David Chang and a wonderful food market that will be built in the, uh, the uh, soon-to-be-renovated tin building on the east side of the FDR, which will be spectacular. You've got great retail in the historic district, uh, and then you've got a wonderful entertainment space on the rooftop, uh, which will have dynamic programming year-round. So I could take you know, my clients out for lunch in the historic district. I could then take my teammate out uh, for maybe some, some afternoon beverages uh, also in the historic district. On the weekends, I could come back to the seaport and go to a farmer's market with my children. And then certainly Saturday night, I could come back for a movie at the IPIC Theater or some sort of an event on the rooftop venue. So four really, truly different experiences all occurring within the same footprint of the seaport district, um, but definitely uh, very much diverse in their offerings and dynamic and unique in and of themselves. And sort of how do you see, it's interesting, um, you know, the market is definitely catching up to the, to sort of serving the residential community that's there. I mean, what do you see, Rob, as the next phase in terms of residential downtown? Well, it, it, all, it all feeds off each other, right? So the more commercial you have, then people want to live there. The more services you have, the more, the more restaurants that want to be there. And um, the, the Performing Arts Center, the Perlman Performing Arts Center that's coming down there, I don't know how, how much... Um, this has been publicized, but there's going to be a, um, a right a, one of one of the last pieces of the original plan from from the World Trade Center coming back was going to be the uh, a performing arts center is going to be a 90,000 square foot uh, facility with 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 uh, four different theaters and it's going to have music and dance and and theater and and uh, really and the Tribeca Film Festival is going to be hosted there in the future and it's a, it's just a major cultural center mm -hmm. that's going to be just yet another thing on top of all the, the restaurants that are uh, moving down there. But and, Barbara and Streisand it, has agreed, is now the chair of the board. Barbara Streisand is the chair of the board, yep. And uh, uh, Ron Perlman made a major uh, donation, which is why it's the Perlman uh, Performing Arts Center. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, there's a real commitment to all the growth that's happening downtown. So, so to, to specifically answer your question, it's, it's becoming, y y the more people see that the, the commercial part's growing and the services follow, then people want to live there, then, the, then, the, then you have more people that want to actually work down there, then more people want to live there. And you're just going to continue to see more buildings uh, uh, sprouting up and, and eventually having emerging with, with Tribeca and all, uh, all the neighborhoods around. And I, I will also add one thing that, um, you know, about Larry Silverstein, um, you know, he's not just selling this, he's, he's, walk, he's walking the walk. He, um, he, uh, we recently announced that, you know, Larry's a, a lifelong Park Avenue, uh, he and his wife Clara, lifelong Park Avenue residents, and they are going to be moving into 30 Park Place at, the, at Four Seasons. And, uh, you know, so uh, for his next, you know, his next 20, 30 years, that's, that's, <laughs> that that's where he'll... That man just keeps on going. That's, it's where, quite he'll, that's where he'll be. Um, and I heard someone on the front row ask where the Performing Arts Center is. It will be on the World Trade Center site, on the northern portion of the site. If you're very familiar, it's where the temporary path station was for the past few years that has come down as they've opened the, the permanent path station. That's the location for the Performing Arts Center. Um, I wanted to come back to Maria because um, maybe before we take some questions, there is so much rich history here. We've talked a lot about the last 15 years or 16 years, but, but really this was our country's first, you know, it was the birthplace of our nation. And 
what I often hear from people, that's what they love about it, is the history and the authenticity. Um, and so I'm just curious, you know, from George Washington to Alexander Hamilton to 9-11 to Superstorm Sandy, how, how you as a school community embrace that and how is it reflected in what you do? Our students are really able to take advantage of all the past and the, the more recent history um, of the area. And we want that for our students and our families. All of these new residential families also want that and part of the reason they move there. So, uh, for example, our fourth graders on Inauguration Day visited Federal Hall, where the first inauguration of George Washington happened. Um, through our performing arts, our students always perform each year at the Stock Exchange tree lighting ceremony. But more important than that, they're able to walk the floor of the stock exchange and see um, business and finance in action and be able to study how that's changed over the years. Uh, some of the obvious uh, ways we take advantage, certainly our students um, study immigration and we use Ellis Islands and the Statue of Liberty. Um, and more recently, we're able to take our students to the Freedom Tower and to um, better understand the more recent history and how that's connected to the past and how it will be move on to the future. So. Um, uh, we do things that are very contemporary. Our students study urban farming. Um, they go to an urban farm in, in Battery Park City, um, as well as look at uh, the history of Wall Street and how that's evolved over the years. So our students are always out on the streets studying the community, but we also bring the community to us and bring in local uh, industries to come in and talk to our students about the, the changing world and to be able to understand their community. We bring in uh, families within the community to also discuss contemporary uh, contemporary issues um, that are, are happening in that area. So our students are able to really take advantage of the vibrant community and the um, long-term history and the most recent history of the area. That's great. Did you want to chime in, please? I, I did. Uh, I think one of the things <clears throat> that we have not discussed here is the, is the tourist. Yes, that's true. Now, the flat iron, uh, our Italy, uh, uh, in the first year brought five million visitors uh, in, in the place. We are on the third floor on Ford World Trade Center. We face the, the Memorial Museum on one side, the, the pool on the other side, and hence we, we really bank on those tourists as well to come to visit, certainly as you, you have expressed, the area offers a lot of historical, but also for the businesses. So that should be an, an, yes. an influx that makes a difference. A hundred percent, and we had 14 million visitors downtown. We keep track at the Alliance, which is a record for us. We have 30 hotels now, and more than a dozen in the pipeline. Um, in fact, uh, a significant portion of all the hotel rooms citywide are being developed right now in Lower Manhattan, which is astounding, from five star, meaning the Four Seasons or the Beekman, to three stars, um, the Holiday Inn and Marriott, we've extended stay. And that's something we never had. We didn't have places for people to stay, um, and that's grown quite dramatically. Um, and, and I would just say before I open it up to questions, um, we have on our website research on the residential market, the tourism market, the commercial market, all of the research the Alliance puts together is free. It's available for you. If there's, you want to dig deeper on any of the things that have been mentioned today, please, please do so. We even have Hamilton tours, if you want to check out all the interesting sites downtown that involve Alexander Hamilton. So do we have questions? Sure, we'll start here. And I'll repeat them, just so that since we don't have mics. Uh,
know if anybody wants to sort of tackle that. I'm, I'll, I'm happy to I'll say to from well. a school perspective, our families talk about that a lot, and I think we have a growing population that are from the immediate area because of sometimes the difficulty to get in and to get around, and, and so many of our families are walking to school or walking to many, many of these areas. Um, more than 80% of our families come from the immediate location. I think the other issue that that brings up is many of our families talk about security of the area, and I think that um, what we're finding is it's probably one of the safest places in New York City um, with lots of security, but also just because it's become so residential, the um, whole populated area has changed down there. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I tend to, um, we're engaging now at the Alliance in a planning exercise around the stock exchange area uh, outside of her front door um, along the, what's essentially the security perimeter there because that's basically a pedestrianized area um, that could function better in our view. Um, but the security issues are, are real. Um, I do think it's one of the safest places, but you know, we've got a lot of infrastructure that's not going to go away. Um, that's going to be there for a long, long time. So we have to make the best of it. It's New York, and we do. Um, and I think um, we have a long way to go in many parts of the district um, in terms of getting people there. Um, you know, there, there may be hot spots at certain times of the day, but it's one square mile, and uh, there are lots of places where we would like to see more foot traffic and not less. You had your hand up, too. You wanna? Uh, well, yes. Um, you're you're seeing uh, um, 56 Leonard is a building that um, uh, is a couple blocks north of uh, where 30 Park Place is, and uh, you know Goldman Sachs executives are there. Um, at 30 Park Place, uh, the one of the the, the CFO of, of Spotify is uh, they're about to uh, uh, do a, a very significant lease. Um, in uh, the World Trade Center towers, and uh, he's moving down uh, into 30 Park Place. He's actually in there now, and with his family, they moved. Uh, they moved from Sweden uh, with the, uh, um, you know, the rest of the company is going to be following. And we're we're expecting. And there, there are more examples like that. We have several CEOs from from the area that are in, who probably would not prefer to be named, but <laughs> they're they're in the building, and uh, we're we're continuing to see more of that, and we'll we'll it'll keep happening. Yeah, and, and one thing I would add is, I mean, we're seeing that too, um, but one of the things that makes it an attractive location is our proximity to Brooklyn, the Jersey waterfront. Um, you know, when Droga 5 moved in, there were a major advertising firm, 70% of their employees live in Brooklyn. Right? So you can take the ferry to Dumbo in three minutes. So that's an attractive piece for them as well. Um, we'll go over here. Everybody's looking at me. I'll, I mean, I'll, you know, it's an interesting. It's interesting because it. it no, well, it, it's not. Lower Manhattan doesn't have, because it doesn't have a history of residential. It doesn't have rent stabilized or rent controlled or Mitchell Lama or any of the programs that you see in other neighborhoods throughout the city because nobody lived there when those programs were at their most robust. Well, there are. You know, if you were to build new and you were to go through the ULERT process in Lower Manhattan just as if you would anywhere else in the city, you would be subject to the new mandatory inclusionary rules. That's if you're going through that process. What, what Jessica's referring to is, is, and not to get too, too far into the de de development, but if you, anywhere in the city, 
if you are trying to build something, if you have, let's say, a plot of land and you want some kind of zoning change from, you're asking New York City from some kind of change, they will come to you and say, okay, but here, here's what you have to do. Uh, and often it involves affordable housing and there's always, there's a give and take and there's a lot being said and written about, about how that's impacting um, development and you know, the, the, the current administration has a, a very aggressive goal to, um, to increase the number of affordable housing. Developers are, are all supportive of, of there being uh, affordable housing. Um, at the same time, we're not, we're not nonprofit businesses, so it, always, it all has to, it has to make sense for everybody. And um, you know, to Jessica's point, it, um, uh, right at the, it's in the early stages of downtown becoming residential, the focus is first, let, you know, let's build these buildings and let's make it a residential community. And again, anybody, if anybody has a plot of land there that's not able to be built as of right, there's going to be a discussion with the city about putting affordable housing there. Let's do somebody like in the back. How about you? And then we can come back to the front. Yes. So So we, we do run a free bus service. So the question was, the Downtown Alliance runs a free bus service, and the question was, uh, are we thinking about extending the hours? Um, and I should say the Battery Park City Authority contributes um, half of the cost of the bus. We definitely wouldn't run it or couldn't run it without that contribution. Um, and that's on a year-by-year, case-by-case basis. I would say um, the answer is we're not looking at extending the hours right now. Uh, it is a very expensive thing for us to do, but we like to do it as an amenity for both the residential and the commercial workforce in the district. Um, I will say that we uh, are looking always at how we might make the route better. I mean, and on, from a philosophical perspective, I'm not trying to compete with the MTA. We're trying to enhance um, and, and supplement what is already there, which is why we don't, we couldn't do AM rush. It would just be too much for us and we have to leave that to the experts, so to speak. Um, but we have to do a, a temporary reroute starting February 20th because of construction. I mean, one of the things is we've come so far and the neighborhood has really rebounded, but we're, we still have work to do and that gets lost and there's still real infrastructure work happening on the ground on, on John Street and Warren Street coming up so we're going to be changing the route. If you take it, you should you should know that for a year or two. Um, and as as the construction is completed, I am looking at other ways for us to go east-west um, and and have more connectivity that way. But unfortunately, at the moment, literal construction is going to keep us from doing that and having headways that make sense. So we do look at the service continually. The Downtown Alliance runs a free red bus. Oh, it, it, it goes on a loop. The map is on our website. It goes on a loop around the perimeter of the island, meaning Water Street, around by the Battery, up north through Battery Park City, and what is then, it ends near what's called the Whole Foods Stop um, by Warren Street. So, um, yeah, but it's, it's, you know, our boundary is south of City Hall. Um, that's the bid boundary. So our service is south of City Hall. We did just add a stop in the seaport um, to try that out for a while. Um, by the Paris Cafe. Alliance, will it be 
If you go, it's the most visited portion of our website. We even have real-time clocks that will tell you when it's coming to each stop on our app. So if it's downtownny.com. It's like an advertisement. It's fantastic. Thank you very much. Well, I'll start with Lamont is has been um, in existence since 2005, and it goes from three years old to grade 12. It's an international school, and it offers an IB, an uh, international baccalaureate program, uh, diploma program, which provides uh, students with a very um, globally perspective, academically rigorous program. It is a for-profit school, similar to many of the others in the area. So um, Sterling is its uh, initial investors in the school. Um, and obviously it's run as a tuition-based school. I don't know of any housing in the city that's being specifically set aside for municipal workers. But it doesn't mean it doesn't exist, I just don't know of it. Yeah, I, I, I'm not, I, I, I assume that's a question, for, I assume that's a question for the administration. I, I, I you know, that's a public mm -hmm. housing question. Um, you know, again, for, from, from a, um, a developer standpoint, a private for-profit developer standpoint, we have ways that we can we support and contribute to uh, the affordable housing um, uh, situation in New York, which which certainly you know needs to be addressed. And um, and uh, again, it's through a, as I said before, it's through where there are going to be where where we where a developer require requests zoning changes or whatever. Uh, changes along those lines, there are discussions that take place with the city, and that's that's the the mechanism and the process that's in place to help address affordable housing. And we're, you know, we are supportive of that. One of our other projects, not downtown, but we have a we have a, a condominium project on um, West 59th Street right now called One West End, which we talked about, and that has an, a, an affordable housing component, which came through with negotiations with the city, and um, and we're proud to to be supportive of that. Sure. Yeah, this woman back here. Yeah, that, that would be great. You two can link up. All right, we have time for one more question. Uh, if you go quick, what'd you say? Resilience. Um, do you want to talk about it? I can talk about it. Whoever wants to talk about resiliency measures. Correct. I'll, be, I'll try to give as quick of an answer as I can. Yes, a portion of that has been funded by HUD and is um, happening um, more towards the Lower East Side down to the Manhattan Bridge. Um, I've been actively advocating for the Brooklyn Bridge South to Battery Park. We got $100 million from the federal government towards that. 
The mayor has $8 million that's been used, it is being used at the moment to do a study and design work to try and figure out what we would actually do for that portion of the big U. That's all the good news. The bad news is I don't see Ben Carson and a federal government that doesn't believe in climate change giving us the two or 300 million that we still need to do a project of that magnitude. So Chuck Schumer has been an incredible advocate for us and is a big reason we got that 100 million to begin with from Secretary Castro. But it's gonna be much more difficult to get the funding we need for this next phase. But we're all fighting very actively and we'll see where we go. I'm just, you know, it's gonna be tough times for a lot of things. So we'll give you the last question. I call it Lower Manhattan, but what do you each call it, the neighborhood? I mean, that's an interesting question. We've done a lot of, sort of what do you, how, 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 how do you refer to it? Tribeca. <laughs> Andrew? Uh, seaport district within Lower Manhattan. <laughs> downtown, or downtown, downtown or Tribeca. Downtown Lower Manhattan. Down, yeah, I mean, I, we try to really, I try to really consistently say Lower Manhattan, but it's a big neighborhood. So people call it lots of different things. Um, I can't tell you the statistic off the top of my head, but I will say we're blessed with a lot more open space than you would think. The Battery Oval, the East River Esplanade, Bowling Green Park, we're about to, uh, Liz Berger, who was my predecessor at the Alliance, we're working with the Parts Department to break ground this year on a new park in her honor called Liz Berger Park. Um, lots of DOT plazas. Um, I mean, but the battery really is a jewel that sometimes gets overlooked and has been massively redeveloped and is beautiful and is going to continue. Their next phase for them is a playground. Um, so, and you, Maria was talking about using their urban farm and the Oval opened this summer, which is, so there, we, we are blessed with both the piers on each side and Battery Park. I didn't talk about Battery Park City at all, but all of the green space that they have. Um, we're, we're okay. I mean, I could say when I represented the Upper East Side and the City Council, we had much less green space per capita. Much, much less. I think we're gonna end there. Thank you all very much for coming. Thank you for the panel. Thank you for listening to this 92Y program. For more information, visit 92Y.org. This program is copyright 2017 by the 92nd Street Young Men's and Young Women's Hebrew Association.